Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. We're going to be looking at 1 Chronicles chapters 28 and 29. And we're going to just very briefly look at these two chapters as we think about David as he draws to the close of his life. And there is a transition of power. David basically relinquishes the kingdom into the hands of Solomon. And so we're going to be talking about that in just a moment or two. I do want to mention that we have visitors with us. As always, we encourage you to come back. We're grateful for all of our visitors, and we want each and every visitor to feel home, at home here. And we want to encourage you to come back. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. Tonight, I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, A Father's Parting Words. I said a moment ago that in chapters 28 and 29, there is a transition that takes place. David, the successor of Saul, is ready to hand the kingdom over to his son, Solomon. And there are a lot of things that are said in these two chapters that I think are meaningful. And what I want us to do is to think for a moment or two about what is recorded in these two chapters and the application that is there for us as we explore this Old Testament text. I want to begin by calling attention to David's contemplative spirit. In verses 1 through 8 of chapter 28, what we have basically are the reflections of David as he nears the end of his life here on planet Earth. And I want to just make an observation or two. It seems to me that as we grow older in life, as we begin to season, mature, and near the end of life, that we become more reflective. And I know that in my own life, as I grow older, I think back over the past and I find myself thinking back to days gone by. I remember several years ago, I had the opportunity to visit a friend of mine that had terminal cancer. And as I visited with him in his room at St. Francis, one of the things that came out of our conversation was the fact that he was at a, what I would call, reflective point in his life. He had retired many years earlier, had moved to Middle Tennessee and lived up around the Tennessee River. When he and his wife got older or more advanced in years, they thought it best to move back to Memphis to be close to family and to be close to doctors as well. And as we talked in that hospital room, he made a statement to me that has stayed with me. He said, you know, a man can live a long time on good memories. And he just reflected back over the many years of his life. I don't think it's unusual for us to reflect back and think about the good times and the bad times, the trials, the tribulations, the victories, the failures. Life is a mixed bag. And when you look at the life of David, you see that. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet David had good times and bad times, highs and lows. 
And so as we look at chapter 28, I want to begin by calling attention to the assembly before David. In verse 1, the text says that David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes and captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons, with the officials, the valiant men, and all the mighty men of valor. It's at this juncture that David begins talking about God anointing him as king, his desire or desires, and then the transition that's going to take place. But note if you would in verse 2, well, verses 2 and 3, the ambition of David. David had in his heart to build a temple for God. The text says in verse 2, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. I'm convinced that this was something that David really wanted to do. David had a strong desire to build a temple for Almighty God, and yet God said no. Sometimes the tough things in life come back in the form of no. David wanted to do this. God said no, but it didn't derail him. There are times in life when we have great plans and ambitions. Maybe we want to do this or that or go here or there, and things don't work out. How do we react? The trials, the no's in life, sometimes really show what we're made of. And I think this was the case in the life of David. Paul said in Romans 8:28, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. David wanted to build the temple. God said no. And so David said, all right, if I can't build the temple, here's what I can do. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. In verse 4, David rehearses his appointment as king, his anointing. The Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler and of the house of Judah, the house of my father and among the sons of my father. He was pleased with me to make me king over Israel. You can go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 16. In chapter 15, Saul had disobeyed Almighty God. He had been instructed by Samuel to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. He failed to do that, and so God removed him as king. God then sent Samuel to anoint David. And you remember when Samuel came to see Jesse, the father of David? Seven sons passed before him. God chose one, a ruddy fellow by the name of David. Bright-eyed, the text tells us he was a good-looking fellow. And God chose him to be king. It's worth pointing out that David 
Well, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll find that the Christ would come through the family of David. And Christ now sits on the throne of David. It's a spiritual throne. But note, if you would, the acclaim of David. We talk about him being chosen as king over Israel. In verse 5, he said, Of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord God over Israel. Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I think about as a father how we have great pride in the accomplishments and the successes of our children. And no doubt it was a thing of great pride to David to know that his son would succeed him, that he would sit on his throne. And then in verses 7 and 8, we have the admonition that was delivered. God is the one that basically gave this admonition. Here's what God said in verse 7. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. What sage advice? Here's God saying, here's what you need to do. You want to be successful? You want to flourish as king? Be faithful. Honor my word. There are a lot of things that David could have said to Solomon, his son, and interestingly, in verses 9 and 10, we're going to note in just a moment exactly what he did say. Let's think for a moment or two now about David's charge to Solomon. And it really begins in verses 9 and 10 as we think about the responsibilities that are going to rest on Solomon. First of all, David instructed Solomon about his behavior before God. And there are really three things I want to share with you along these lines. Now just pause here with me for a minute. If you, if you knew that your life was about to come to an end and you had the opportunity to sit down and talk to your children, your grandchildren, maybe your great-grandchildren, what would you say to them? What would you talk to them about? If you want to know what you ought to talk to your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren about, it's recorded right here in verses 9 and 10. This is a tremendous blueprint for how to be successful in life. And I'm not talking about physical success. I'm not talking about material success. But rather, I'm talking about spiritual success. First of all, here's what, here's what David said to Solomon. Know the God of your father. What better advice could he give? Solomon, you want to be successful? You want to be blessed? You want your kingdom to flourish and be what it ought to be? No, God. Is there any greater advice we could ever give our children? We got a lot of young folks here. And as I think about David, as he's reflecting back over his life, you remember David said in the long ago, I was young and now I'm old? David's old. We got a lot of young folks, 15, 16, 17 years of age. You'll wake up one morning and you'll be 35 or 45. And you'll have children. And then you'll have grandchildren. 
Here's what you need to tell them. Know the God of your father. I want to call attention to a passage that is found in the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to turn with me and read it with me because I think it's very important. It helps us to understand what David is saying to Solomon. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, I'm not going to take the time to read everything that has been recorded by Moses about the conduct of one who would sit on the throne as king over Israel. But here's what he did say in verse 18. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. Now look at verse 19. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Now we talk about knowing God. How can I know God? How can I have a relationship with God? The only way that I know that I can really and truly begin to understand the heart and the mind of God is through this book that we call the Bible. And Moses is saying to the, to the children of Israel and specifically to those who would sit on the throne you need to record for yourself a copy of the book of the law and then it needs to stay with you and you need to read it all the days of your life. Brother George was in my office this past week and reminded me of a statement that I have said from time to time and he really said it in a joking manner because he was looking at my Bible and it it literally is falling apart. And he said, didn't you say if you take care of your Bible, it'll take care of you? And I think the implication was I hadn't taken good care of my Bible. Well, it's worn out. But the point is this. Knowing God and knowing the mind of God. David is saying, Solomon you want to be successful and you really want to be what you ought to be, then you've got to, you've got to know Almighty God. Look at verse 20. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Sadly, you well know that Solomon did not listen to the advice of his father. And he paid a heavy price for that. But nonetheless, sage advice from a father. And then there is a second thing that David says to Solomon. First of all, he said, know the God of your father. And then secondly, he said, and serve him with a loyal heart. Serve God. Know God and serve God. Joshua in the long ago, you remember he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. He went on to say, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Every one of us, every one of us tonight, 
We ought to draw a line in the sand and we ought to say to the world, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord, come what may. We're going to serve him in good times, in bad times, in joys and frustrations. Whatever comes our way, we are serving the Lord. That's what, that's what David said to Solomon. Solomon, you need to serve Almighty God. Now just think about it for a minute. Here is David, the king of Israel. He is a man of power, a man of prestige. He is a man of immense wealth. What's he focusing on? The physical? The material? No, the spiritual. To serve as king over Israel would have been a tremendous honor. But to serve the king of kings and lord of lords is a greater honor. It is a tremendous honor to be a member of the body of Christ and to serve the living God to know that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world today that is power hungry. I think about individuals that occupy the highest office in our country, the presidency. It's an honor. It's a greater honor to be a Christian. It's an even greater honor to serve Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The world doesn't see it that way, but we ought to. We are God's people. There is a third thing that David said. You need to know God, you need to serve God, and then, thirdly, you need to seek God. Isaiah in the long ago said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. I would encourage every young, every young person, begin serving the Lord, seeking him in youth. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and I think Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes after he had made a lot of mistakes in life. And Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes, and in chapter 12, verse 1, he said, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. You need to seek the Lord when you're young. One of the reasons is because as you grow older, patterns are set. And it might be the case that there's no place for God in your life. Let me talk to you in the second place about David instructing Solomon about building for God. In verses 11 through 21, and I'm not going to take the time to read these verses, but we have the pattern or plans laid out for the temple. In verses 1 through 9 of chapter 29, David talks about the provisions. And first of all, we think about the provisions that were offered by King David and then the provisions that were offered by the people. And I want you to note, if you would, a couple of verses in chapter 29 along these lines. First of all, look at verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the congregation, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, note if you would what he said. Solomon is young, he's inexperienced. 
It's with that backdrop in mind that he had just told him, look, you need to know God, you need to serve God, you need to seek God. David as a father is trying to lay a foundation for Solomon to be successful as his successor. Verse two. Now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might. Now back in chapter 28, you remember David said, it was in my heart to build a house for God's name. But God said no. Look at, what, look at David's attitude. You ever seen people, they want to do something, they, they are prohibited from doing whatever endeavor they're wanting to undertake, and so they get mad, they pout, they say, I'm not going to be a part of that. That wasn't David. David said, all right, if I can't be the leader, if I can't be the one to build this house, let me tell you what I can do. I can make preparation. There are things that I can do to make sure that this temple is built. And so he said, I prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood. Look at verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. You think David wanted to be a part of this building project? You think he had a good heart? I think he did. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And then drop down if you would and look at some of the provisions offered by the people. In verse 6, the text says that the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands, of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Verse 8. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. Now note, if you would, verse 9, very important. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced. What strikes me about this passage is here were people that gave out of the abundance of their hearts. This is something that they wanted to do. They felt compelled to offer these things for the building of the house of God or the temple. Now we talk about Christianity. Christianity is a religion that invites people to become an adherent. We send out invitations, don't we? Every time we preach and teach, we invite people to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will never be what we ought to be. We will never be where we should be until we have a willing heart. Look at what is said about these people. With a loyal heart, they offered willingly to the Lord. We talk about doing everything we can to advance the cause of Christ in this community. 
And we talk about putting our heart into the work here. It's got to come from a willing heart. There are folks here, there are folks here tonight. Well, you're here tonight because you want to be here. There are a lot of folks that aren't here because they didn't want to be here. As a congregation, we can, we can do great things for the Lord. And I think we've done some good things. But our goal is to get everybody on the same page. And one of the things that I think about and grapple with on a regular basis is how can I get people to devote themselves to the cause of Christ willingly? How, how can I get people to want to come back to services, to want to study the Bible, to want to grow closer to the Lord? Is there anything I can say? Anything I can do? I want to do my best to encourage people to follow the Lord. When it's all said and done, when you cut to the heart of the matter, it's the heart, and it comes from within. And so we've got to inspire people to offer themselves willingly. There's a great passage of Scripture found in 2, King, or rather 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul said, they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then he went on to say, if a man has a willing mind, if you give yourself to the Lord and you have a willing mind, you can do any and everything for the cause of Christ. Note now his praise in verses 10 through 15. And here we have David blessing the Lord before all the congregation. And there are two parts. First, David underscores the sovereignty of God. And then he talks about serving God. In verses 10 through 13, he said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Lord, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all, David understood the sovereignty of God, that God is above all and over all. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 99 verse 1, the Lord reigneth. He said, both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. We ought to have a heart of thanksgiving. Continually. Paul said, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. And then note his view of serving God. Verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you. He understood that God and God alone is our benefactor. And of your own we have given you for we are aliens and pilgrims before you. As were all our fathers, our days on earth as a shadow and without hope. One day life will come to a crashing halt. Hold that thought and we'll come back to it in just a moment as we conclude our lesson. 
David here, I believe, understands the great blessings associated with being a servant, of serving God. Do we understand the privilege of serving the King of kings and Lord of lords? Now let's talk for a minute or two about his reign. There are two things here. First, there is the transition of David's power in verses 20 through 25. And what you see here is David stepping aside and Solomon assuming the role of king. Solomon, a young man, inexperienced, and into his hands are committed the kingdom. The text tells us in verse 24 that all the leaders and mighty men and also all the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. What a day that must have been to see the coronation of the king. But then note, if you would, the transition of David through passing. In verse 26, thus David the son of Jesse reigned over all Israel and the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. Let me just pause here for a minute. Power is temporary at best. You ever thought about that? David was king for 40 years. But the time came, the time came in the life of David for him to step aside. I was thinking this afternoon about men who have served as president in our country. If I counted correctly, we have four living men who at one time occupied the White House. They're not in power anymore. Their days of glory and power are over. Not long ago, a week or two ago, an ex-senator visited Washington, D.C., Bob Doyle, served the state of Kansas, 90 years of age, an old man in declining health. At one time, he was a powerful leader in Washington. Those days are long gone. Let me tell you what, I don't care where you are in this life, Things will change. At best, we are aliens and pilgrims before God. That's what, that's what David acknowledged back in verse 15 of his prayer. We began working with this church five years ago. It's been a great blessing. It has been an honor for me to stand in this pulpit week to week and teach classes. But I know I won't be here forever. Why is that? Nothing lasts forever. No matter how good it is, it all comes to an end. You see, one day I'll be gone. Some of the young men in this congregation, one day it may be one of these young men standing in this pulpit preaching. I hope and pray it is. I hope and pray one of our young men will one day preach from this pulpit. 
We often joke about the fact that I'm just the interim, the interim preacher, and really and truly I am. If you had a preacher before I came, you'll have a preacher after I leave. I'm just the interim. But you see, nothing lasts forever. One day there'll be a change in leadership here. One day the men who sit as the elders of this congregation, one day these men will be gone. Those who serve as deacons, the same. What I'm trying to say is nothing lasts forever. Things change. There is what is called the transitory nature of life. David enjoyed great success. He had some highs and he had some lows. He had some good times and bad times. Great victories and failures. David was coming to the end and there was a transition in power and there was a second transition about to take place. Look at what is said in verse 28. We talk about his transition through passing. David died in a good old age full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. When it's all said and done, death always wins. Always. David stepped out into eternity. The writer of Hebrews said, It is appointed unto man once to die. After this cometh the judgment. One day, if the Lord delays his coming, I know that we will step out into eternity. What we want to do is to leave this world a better place. And one of the ways that we can do that, share the gospel, tell others about Christ, do everything that we can while we have strength, while we have youth on our side. The time will come when we're not able to do what we'd like to do and we'll step out into eternity. David went home to be with the Lord. I suspect that as David neared the end of his life that he thought about the 23rd Psalm. One of the great Psalms. You remember David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David said about death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. David took the step from here to there. You remember David lost a child. And when that son died, David said, He can't come to me, but I can go to him. David was reunited with that child in eternity. Let's close by saying this. Our time on planet Earth is short. We've got to use the time that God has blessed us with wisely. We must do everything that we can 
to equip ourselves to serve the Lord, to live faithfully, and to make adequate preparation for eternity. You may be here tonight and you're not a Christian. I want to plead with you. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus who can give you an abundant life. That's what he said in John 10 verse 10. Come to Jesus and you will enjoy forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross for you and me. His love for you was such that he willingly bore your sins in his body on the tree. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. If, you, if you're not a Christian, here's what you need to do. Number one, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus said, Except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. The Lord Jesus also said, Except you repent, you will perish. Luke 13, 3. If you would repent of your sins, then I'm certain you'd be willing to confess his name before others and then be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away. That's what Peter said in Acts 2, 38. The Lord will then add you to the church, which is the body of the redeemed. God has promised to save the church, Ephesians 5, 23. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful, we encourage, we beg, we plead with you, come home, knowing that God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9, as we stand and sing.